All right, North-South Connection, we are back with No-So Network. Taking a little hiatus from clotheslines and headlines where Rossi and I and Rocco run through the gamut of WWE happenings and we end with a little indie corner, but now we're kind of bringing you a whole indie section. And we're bringing you our favorite indie promotion, being Beyond Wrestling, the founder of Beyond Wrestling. But Rossi, before we get to Drew, what's going on, buddy? Not much, man. You know, I'm, I'm excited to do this. Been looking forward to doing this for a while. I figured the week before American Rana was going to make the most sense. So we're going to talk a lot today about Beyond Wrestling and American Rana, which is basically the WrestleMania of the Beyond Wrestling year, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's coming your way this Sunday, August 21st, from the White Eagle in Worcester, Mass. It's a completely sold out show. Can be watched on the IWTV, which is Independent Wrestling TV. And. Beyond started in Ohio in 2009. Uh, it's definitely been a New England staple since it came over to New England in 2011, though. Mostly Providence before Worcester kind of took control of it from 2016 and you know really took hold of it in 2019 moving forward. Um, and tonight, we, like you said, we have the man that's the founder and has been around since uh, Beyond Open Doors in 2009, Mr. Drew Cordero. How are you doing today, Drew? I feel ancient when you run down the history of Beyond Wrestling like that. Oh yeah, man. It's it's been. A, I mean, I I haven't been with you the full run. I've been with you for the. I mean, 2014 on. It was I went to my first show. Um, but you know how uh, how do you feel about everything gear as we gear up towards the uh, week of American Rana here? It's been like a huge back and forth process for months. Um, probably one of the toughest executions in terms of just getting to the point of being able to announce matches. Um, but I'm really happy with what we ended up with. And, uh, you know, now show sold out. My work's done. It's pretty much up to everybody else just to make sure that the card blows away all of the fans' expectations. And I think with the lineup that we have, we're uh, we're on course for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we're looking forward to watching it. Um, I know that uh, Ryan was, was originally planning on hitting it up, but I know he's not going to be able to, right, Ryan? Ah, we'll see if we can backdoor something. We're, we're not <laughs> we're not ruling it out, but um, you know, anniversary weekend, you're married, things happen. But you, there's always IWTV where you can catch the replay or live if you're happening to sneak away. Yeah, yeah, and it's gonna be 7 p.m. too, which I think is kind of in that that, that hotter window to to watch it live. So. So, yeah, that'll definitely be cool. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, I've been a uh, Beyond fan since 2014. I, I went to a show called Unbreakable um, on May 18th, 2014, um, which was actually headlined by uh, Kevin Steen and the Young Bucks against Team Tremendous and uh, Dan and I'm sorry, and Biff Busick. Um, what, are, what are your memories on that show, Drew? I remember that it was supposed to be Kevin Steen versus Biff Busick. And Young Bucks versus Team Tremendous and Kevin Steen and Young Bucks getting there and maybe Nick Jackson being a little bit banged up and just kind of to me, it was like, oh, man, we've been advertising these two matches. This is what we sold the car on. Now now we're not going to be able to deliver it and just kind of putting in the hands of the pros um, and then seeing when like Steen and the Young Bucks decided that they were going to go all out with the Mount Rushmore attire. Um, it was like, OK, you know. As, as, as much as I have a vision for the way things should be put together and, and, you know, what we want to communicate to our fans and how we want to deliver it to them. Um, you know, <laughs> when you have somebody like Kevin Steen of the Young Bucks, sometimes you defer to their expertise. That <laughs> match was amazing. And the picture that the three of them took behind Fett um, in their Mount Rushmore attire is certainly one of the most uh, visible social media posts uh, that, that came out of Beyond Wrestling, especially during that period of time. So, um, 
it's cool to be able to work with those guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember seeing them come out in that that garb, and I was like, oh, all right, this is kind of cool. <laughs> you know, the, how you originally it started with Biff and Steen. They went no contest at the beginning in like two minutes. And But other notes on that show, uh, John Silver, actually, interestingly enough, won a Fatal 4-Way dark match um, against Bucks Belmar, Latin Dragon, and Stockade. Um, and, you know, Tommaso Ciampa was on that card um against jaka um kim kimberly defeated drew gulak and probably what was kim's breakout match i would say um really cool card there you know it hooked me right in and i've been around ever since and ryan got into uh beyond a little bit later he he jumped in uh the first worcester show um for insatiable november 20th 2016 ryan what were your thoughts about that one yeah kind of like you said how it hooked you instantly a very cool vibe it was my first indie show in geez a long time this is like, what, November or December 2016, Rossi? Yeah, it was the day of Survivor Series when uh, Brock lost to Goldberg. I remember that. But this yeah. is like the afternoon show. Yeah, no, you know, I was a little tempted. You're pulling me away from an NFL Sunday here. It's, I know a handful of the guys. I, you know, I know the company, but, you know, you're a little, you know, jaded. But then you go and you're instantly hooked. The atmosphere is fantastic. I, I miss the haze. The Eagles great, but I miss the haze. But. Beyond Wrestling Anywhere has been fantastic. If it's FET, if it's the White Eagle, Hayes, down in Foxwoods, I saw it. And then Melrose. So we saw it in Orlando, too. So that's a handful of place. And the product is great regardless. And um, it hooks you instantly. I love the energy. Guys, if you haven't seen Beyond Wrestling, you're standing literally at the ring and you can slam it with your hands. It's the most close, intimate setting you're going to watch wrestling in. And, you know, it's a bar, literally. It's bar wrestling. So you, you go get your drink, walk back to where you're standing. and it's just, it just sucks you right in. The atmosphere is, I can't say enough about it. It's one of the funnest atmospheres I've been around for a show, 100%. Thank you. And then, Drew, what thoughts stick out to your mind in regards to that first Worcester debut show? I think September of uh, 2016 is when the first chance I had to see Electric A's in person. And it was just like, can we get a ring in here? <laughs> yeah, let's try it. And um, I just remember really liking the vibe of Electric Haze. I always thought it was cool having the camera set up in that little balcony, that little makeshift balcony that they had. And, you know, being able to have the camera facing the street, especially when it was daylight and just kind of seeing the people walking by and poking their head in the cars going by. And it just felt like a very it kind of felt like a like an urban fight club type thing. Um and, uh, you know, I feel like that period of Beyond Wrestling, I feel like there's like every three months is the transition period of Beyond Wrestling because of how quickly the scene changes and how everything moves. Um, but I felt like that was like a really important statement show. We had just come off doing the the tournament um, for today uh, at Aurora. So to be able to kind of replicate the success in a similar size building, but just about two weeks after the fact um, was really important to us. And. It eventually got the ball rolling for, for what would become Beyond Wrestling's home, which is Worcester, Massachusetts. That it is. That is, that is awesome. You know, I remember that day fondly. I, I had a few too many of those two for five Gansets that day for shit sure. Um, but it was a good time. Um, and, you know, some highlights of that show. Um, Jonathan Gresham defeated Matt Cross. Um, Kimberly had a pretty killer match with Keith Lee. And that was like Kim's like last month before she went to WWE. Um, same went with Chris Hero. Um, he had a singles match on that. And um, big the big main event was really Matt Riddle and Matt Tremont in a Anything Goes match. 
which was the first time that Riddle really got to mix it up in something that he may not have been that comfortable with going in. So uh, pretty cool stuff there. Um, so as we talk about the state of beyond, because that's, that's, you know, want to kind of, before we start getting into American Ronner and everything with that, let's talk a little bit about beyond and where, you know, where you're at now versus, you know, what you want the future to be and all of that stuff. Um, so first off, I mean, obviously like everybody, life's changed, um, pretty drastically in 2020 when the pandemic hit, um, you had just come off of, uh, beyond championship wrestling in Melrose, um, which was kind of like a wonky show, but a fun one, albeit that. Um, and really just had a, you know, really had a ton of momentum coming out of that Heavy Lies the Crown show, which was a New Year's Eve. And, you know, you did a sold out show at Foxborough that January. So what what was your first instinct when that pandemic hit? And uh, what challenges have you faced in the, in the time frame since then? Well, I mean, as far as Beyond Championship Wrestling goes, it was kind of like we've got an extremely aggressive schedule coming up. Let's do something a little bit offbeat, a little bit silly, um, something that hasn't really been done before. Um, and, you know, kind of take people on a little bit of a ride and then, you know, we'll get it back on track by the end of that show and then drop some major announcements. I mean, the fact that we were supposed to be doing our first live event head to head with WrestleMania, which is an idea that I'd always had prior to WrestleMania being two days down in Tampa. You know, that was frustrating that it's something that not only we couldn't do, but but it's an idea that we'll never be able to get back to, especially the way that the WrestleMania weekends are set up right now. There's such a glut of events. Um, you know, somebody's bound to be doing an event against one of the nights. It's just it's just not as special as it would have been. Um, we were supposed to be coming back with the third season of Uncharted Territory um, and actually the fourth season of Uncharted Territory. Um, we had programming penciled in for between the two seasons, which was going to be, I believe, either a nine or ten week um women's tournament that we were going to be trying to model after the G1, um, which would have involved uh, somewhere between about 10 and a dozen women's wrestlers. Um, a lot of them, which have gone on to, you know, do some spectacular things in AEW. So it was very frustrating to be in a position where we had this months and months of work and all of the planning and then unable to execute anything. I think, you know, some of the people in my circle and, and, and people that I work with, with IWTV and stuff like that, I think my initial reaction was I will run a show a month after the first people run shows because I, I wanted other people to be the, the canary in the mind shaft, so to speak, um, just to try and figure out what some of the issues would be. So that way, you know, we would be able to identify them and make sure that when we started coming back with live events, um, we wouldn't face some of the same issues. And I think the thing that really got to me was the date that American Rana was scheduled for. Um, our crew was dispatched to do GCW in Atlantic City. And there was just something about the date that I just didn't want to let go. Um, and so we ended up doing the doubleheader on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And it was cool to be able to do a show on that date, even though it wasn't American Rana. Um, but I felt like a, like a lot of the people that we worked with, uh, were very rusty. They weren't getting their reps in. And that gave me a very different perspective on, on independent wrestling in general. Um, it made me want to be able to go back to do another event with GCW the following month because I felt like we had something to prove. That's when we did the um, wear sunscreen card because it was so hot doing the two weeks notice card in July. So when we came back in August with wear sunscreen and that kind of just ended up organically falling in place to being an all intergender card, which is obviously one of the signature matches that beyond runs and, 
you know, there's been so many male and female performers whose careers have been launched as a result of uh, those intergender matches. Um, we were going to work with GCW again in November of that year, but after the collective, and that was really the first time with, with indoor wrestling and COVID outbreaks and, you know, before we were at a point where we had access to uh, vaccines and stuff like that, uh, you know, unfortunately we had to bow out of that November event and not one of my regrets, but just speaking factually, I feel like Beyond Wrestling as a whole lost a lot of steam by not running as consistently as some other organizations in the pandemic. Um, I think that when you look at deathmatch wrestling, you know, it's like, well, what's more dangerous, getting COVID or getting like sliced up by light tubes, barbed wire, <laughs> set on fire, stuff like that. So, you know, for the people that led the charge and, and continue to run through the pandemic, like I absolutely respect their decision to do that. And um, I think they benefited greatly because in a lot of ways, um, they were the only game in town. Um, and as a result, I think Beyond Wrestling lost a lot of steam. And when we came back in 2021, I wanted to kind of just go in a different direction. I wanted to try and link up with wrestlers that had a more professional presentation. I wanted to, you know, do our events indoors, in rings, you know, with, with again, a more professional presentation. And that's not to knock what the deathmatch shows and, and the no ring shows and the outdoor shows and stuff like that. But it's just like, you know, kicking up dirt, wrestling in T-shirts, wrestling in jeans. Um, and I think that when we came back with the signature series, the timing of when we taped it, produced it, and when we were able to release it, you know, by the time we had the sixth episode, which is the finale, we were already back to doing live events, even with a restricted crowd at Waitingle in Worcester. And so I think that the signature series could have probably really benefited a lot of the wrestlers that were involved. Uh, but when fans kind of caught on that it was something that that was taped, even if it was being premiered, I think there was uh, a little bit of interest that was lost in that. And then, like, the crazy match with Slade and Matthew Justice, the finale of the, um, you know, the the greatest rivals, Ron Robin, tournament match itself, the finale of the tournament for tomorrow. Um, I think that kind of all got overlooked by the fact that just an hour later, we were back doing live events. Um, some of the people that I think that I wanted to move forward with during that period of time while it made sense to me in terms of what I wanted to position Beyond Wrestling's aesthetic as, um, I think that it was too much of a disconnect for what our crowd had come to expect and also kind of what independent wrestling fans in general wanted based on the popularity of kind of the hardcore wrestling at that time. Um, and I felt like it took us a few months to be able to find our footing, and that was all going to culminate with American Rana 21. And then there was supposed to be a hurricane that day. <laughs> So we didn't get to run American Ron in 2020 either. And uh, I think that not running American Ron last year set, set us back more than, than the entire pandemic period. Really? Why is that? I just think that it took us so many attempts to be able to put our roster together. And it was a special card with a lot of surprises. And even though we were able to revisit some of the matches, I think a lot of the announcements that we had that were coming out of it and a lot of the plans that were in place, you know, all of our marketing was built. It was all anchored to our signature event. And so the fact that it fell apart, like in less than 24 hours before it was supposed to happen was just, I didn't think it was going to be a death blow, but I also didn't think it was. Uh, and, yet, and yet somehow I didn't think it was going to set us back nearly as much as it did. And I feel like we basically spent the entire period from when we didn't get to execute American Rana 2021 until wrestling open started figuring out where beyond wrestling fit in the independent wrestling landscape, something else to consider. Obviously all of these deathmatch events ran 
that's what represented independent wrestling. But AEW was able to run. WWE was able to run. And they continued to scramble to find talent. And so when we were doing Uncharted Territory Season 1 and Season 2, there were people that weren't even on the radar when those seasons started that became stars for us relative to our audience, relative to the independent wrestling scene um, during that period of time. So it was almost like we were able to kind of fast forward a little bit because we went from doing approximately 40 shows in 2019 to five in 2020. Well, our best wrestlers were able to find work elsewhere and Mm -hmm. we didn't have the ability to kind of replenish our roster the way that we had grown accustomed to prior to that. Um, So while we came across stars like Matt Mikowski and Megan Bain and Alec Price and Masha Slamovich and Will Yuta and Willow Nightingale. Um, it took longer. And uh, just like with, uh, you know, a minor league baseball team, all, all their best players get called up and, and they're in a constant state of rebuilding or, or even when a team wins a national championship and then all of their players sign to different teams, you know, for a lot of money, but then the team itself kind of falls apart. That's been an extended period of what we've gone through with Beyond Wrestling, and it just feels like it's a, it's a constant game of catch-up, and uh, only just now, finally, um, are, are we able to kind of see the fruits of our labor, um, and I think that we're going to celebrate that with American Rana 22, and I think that that is going to set us up nicely with what we have planned for the future of Wrestling Open, what we have planned for the future of Beyond Wrestling, because, you know, people within my circle, people close to me know that as much as I try and and conduct myself in a professional manner online. Uh, it's, it's very much the sky is falling day to day. Um, <laughs> and it's been tough to be able to piece it together. And, and there's been times where it felt like we weren't going to be able to piece it together. And we were probably closer to the finish line um, than maybe we let on at points. Um, so I'm very happy with the way things have come together. It's definitely reinvigorated my interest in wrestling overall. And uh, and wrestling open is a very big part of that. And, and that's why, you know, rather than doing a doubleheader with WWR Plus or, or another wrestling organization, to me, it was Wrestling Open that earned that spot uh, before American Rana 22 for the no respect card. So, Drew, speaking of last year, you talk about having to cancel American Rana. Just real quick to catch everyone up is what happened was there was a hurricane the Saturday before running American Rana on Sunday in a lot of Worcester lost electricity. And obviously that hurt a lot of the trans and really killed your show, unfortunately. And that's, you know, the, the merits of you just running down what happened last year, just to catch everyone up. Sure. And, and basically what had happened is, you know, we've got wrestlers traveling in from all over, whether they're flying, whether they're driving in. So the majority of the damage done on the Saturday was, you know, kind of New York, uh, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, let that tri-state area, New Jersey included. And it made travel very difficult. And there were all sorts of travel restrictions. And it's just like, well, if we can't get half the roster here, we can't really deliver on the promise of what the card was supposed to be. And there were also fans asking for refunds. It, it, it just ended up falling apart. And then, you know, lo and behold, we get to the Sunday and it seems like we probably could have done the show and it could have gone off without a hitch. But that would have required everybody to be there at that point. And, and we weren't capable of doing that earlier that week, that Wednesday, there was actually a lot of flooding in Worcester. And that was like before the threat of a hurricane. So it just seemed like our hand was forced. We had no other choice but to cancel American Rana and. Obviously, Matthew Cardona, who was already in the area, was not very happy about that. Um, some of the surprises that we had lined up for the show, like Santana and Ortiz, wanted to move forward with it. But, you know, the overwhelming majority of the matches that we had advertised and announced weren't going to come to fruition. And 
if it ended up being worse weather-wise, you know, it didn't make sense to me to have people risk their well-being to get there to see something that was different than than what we had been promoting for months, even if it was still going to be good on its own merit. Um, so that was a very, very difficult decision. And, you know, it's a different world because I have, you know, partners in IWTV. Um, so I have their backing. I have their blessing. But between Beyond Wrestling and WWR Plus to have to issue $20,000 in ticket refunds, not an easy decision to make. I would say so. Yeah, and that was really a lose-lose for you. You know, it was cancel and, you know, disappoint people, even though that might just not have understood. I mean, there was a lot of people on Twitter during that stretch that just didn't get the concept. Um, they thought that, you know, I've driven in snow. This isn't a, there's nothing going on. But and then obviously the storm didn't hit like it was expected to. But to your point, yeah, I mean, half your card wasn't going to be there at one point. So um, you really were stuck between a rock and a hard place then. That, that really felt for you there. Um, so we, we kind of already hit on like the, you know, how a lot of people, you know, left your, your grip during that stretch. Like if you look at the card you had at the beginning of 2020, um, with, you know, your orange Cassidy's with your Chris Statlanders with your John Silvers during the pandemic, those guys all became superstars in AEW, right? If you could say that that wrestling boom with, with the, you know, AEW and WWE never really slowing down and, and hiring people and running shows throughout the pandemic, that obviously hurt the indies, right? Um, but you know, what positives and negatives do, do you take away from from a boom like that? Because a, it gives other people opportunities. Um, but what what are your thoughts on how how the indie world has changed with you know the onset of AEW and really WWE for a stretch getting so aggressive with with hiring indie wrestlers? You know, I'm not going to dance around it. I think that it has done more harm than good, at least immediately. Um, I think where it does good is, for example, you know, when Wheeler Yuta puts out a tweet with his graphic saying that he's wrestling Timothy Thatcher, he now has more visibility than he ever would have had as an independent wrestler. Um, you know, part of the complications come in, in having access to those wrestlers and making sure that they're able to promote their appearances. Um, you know, and, and so we're very thankful that we have a good relationship with AEW. You know, back in May when we had our WWR Plus event, um, you know, we were able to get Willow Nightingale and Ashley Dampois to compete for our event at Fat Music when, you know, some of the other events like Black Label Pro and PWG lost wrestlers to the AEW dark taping. Um, so it's a two way street to an extent, um, but it's tough because I think it's warped fans expectations, especially a lot of times, you know, I like to ask questions online just to kind of gauge fans reactions and, and and sometimes that's just to get an idea of what their expectations are um you know for example we said that wheeler Yuta, who was originally scheduled to team with tracy williams against thomas santel and ryan clancy when he was moved out of the match it's like oh, okay now Yuta must be teaming with john moxley or wrestling john moxley or teaming with orange cassidy or wrestling orange cassidy and it's kind of like you know on our end we're we're tapped out as far as access to AEW talent for the day so we need to make sure to manage expectations because we don't want fans to be disappointed at the end of the day. We want to underpromise and overdeliver. Um, I think that's one of the things that has kept Beyond Wrestling's reputation and, and buzz about it in all of these different iterations. Um, when a lot of the different wrestlers got called up, not everybody makes it. And I think that it gives certain wrestlers a warped perspective of their value um, to both independent wrestling and, and all professional wrestling. Um, and maybe the most difficult component of all of this is that we've lost access to so many veteran wrestlers that it's almost created a bottleneck. 
And a lot of what we see in independent wrestling right now is, I don't want to say it's the blind leading the blind, but it's people without a lot of experience trying to pass out, pass down the knowledge that they have to people with even less experience. So we don't have some of the veterans that we used to have access to that would improve the quality of the locker room, the quality of the shows. Um, and, and so it's like a lot of the wrestlers now we're learning on the job. And with that lack of quality control, it's like, well, IWTV brings dozens of live streams to an independent wrestling audience every month. But AEW brings like four or five shows every single week to TV and YouTube. You know, NXT is still on USA. Uh, you can watch SmackDown on Fox. You can watch Raw on USA. Um, besides all the shoulder programming, the access to Peacock and stuff like that. So wrestling's very star-driven. And if AEW is able to successfully replicate a presentation to what fans want out of independent wrestling, they're going to follow their favorite wrestlers. Um it's my job to then figure out who the next line of favorite wrestlers is going to be and put them into positions that fans are going to be able to connect with them. So with all of this factored in the beyond wrestling model, as we knew it, as we had uh, kind of cultivated it for close to a decade um, was ineffective largely. And that's kind of what led us to come on up, coming up with the idea of wrestling open. And even though I think that for what the, part of our show that the fans interact with it probably seems very similar uh to what we accomplished with uncharted territory the infrastructure the things that go on behind the scenes are drastically different um and and it was just a matter of you know having that moment where we had to stop and reassess and figure out what all the challenges were and trying to come up with something that was going to check as many boxes and tackle as many of those issues as possible um so right now we're kind of in a, a situation where it's the best of both worlds you know, where we have somebody like Max Caster that comes to White Eagle in Worcester, Massachusetts, almost every Thursday to compete for Wrestling Open. Meanwhile, he's doing some of the best work of his entire career um, on TV for AEW. And it's adding credibility to what our new project is. Um, but also being able to work with Wheeler Yuta and Eddie Kingston and Willow Nightingale and, you know, other wrestlers that cut their teeth in beyond wrestling. And now it's almost like they get to come home for a night for American Rana so that we can celebrate their success. Um, but it becomes challenging because with WWE and their wrestlers, we know that we don't have access to them, but with AEW, it's not like there's automatic access either. So it's simply, comes back to the idea of managing what the fans' expectations are so that we can put together the best possible card to make as many people happy as possible. Yes, very good, Drew, very good. Now, you bring up Uncharted Territory. Can you tell us about the concept and how you ca how it came together in 2019 and, you know, what septically brought it to Tennessee? Sure. So when IWTV, Beyond Wrestling, kind of became one entity, um, you know, IWTV put a lot of resources into doing uncharted territory, which was four months. So 18 consecutive weeks. That was before AEW had launched any television programming. So it was every Wednesday, eight o'clock um, scheduled to beat electric haze. I think we did 11 or 12 episodes there before we had to move it over to white Eagle. Yeah. And the idea was if beyond wrestling is an independent wrestling super show, let's do it every single week. It's uncharted territory. There's no independent wrestling company out there that has tried to do, 
weekly live streams at a super indie level. Um, not tryout shows, you know, not not taped for DVD, but actual live weekly programming. And part of the thought process, and even going back to when we used to do our events at Aurora after we had moved on from FET Music was whenever I would talk to wrestling fans from New England that were of an older generation, and I would try and explain to them what we do, like I would always be like, oh, it's wrestling, like Hulk Hogan. And then they would be like, oh, is it like Jack Witchies? And I heard it enough that, you know, I wanted to know what Jack Witchies was. And it was, I believe, a roller skating rink uh, off of Route 1 in Attleboro, Massachusetts. And every single Friday night, they would do a wrestling show. And sometimes if big names are passing through town, they would pop up on that show. But it was live professional wrestling every single Friday. And the fact that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, people still knew about it and still talked about it. That was important to me. That means that they had experiences that they made long-lasting lifetime memories uh, being at those wrestling shows. And when Beyond Wrestling first started, again, I had to move to Ohio to kind of build my network because the kind of wrestling that I liked didn't really exist in New England except for when Ring of Honor would come to town once or twice a year. So I had to go to Ohio to create Beyond Wrestling, but the goal was always to bring it back because the long-term goal with Beyond Wrestling was to have a regular home promotion for the type of wrestling that I liked in New England. So then when I learned more about Jack Witchies, it was, well, what if we could replicate this? What if we could recreate this for a newer audience? And the, the thought process was always, let's do it at Aurora, a room that can fit 200 people, because that would be a spectacular turnout for an independent wrestling crowd on a weekly basis. Um, Aurora ended up closing down. Electric Haze was the same size room. And... Since it was before AEW Dynamite had started, um, you know, we were able to work with Trent Beretta, Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, MJF, Santana, Ortiz, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky, Chris Statlander, Brian Cage. I mean, literally Sean Spears. I mean, literally a who's who of the first wave of all of the people. I should say the second wave because they did the press conference where – you know, they announced like Sonny Kiss and yeah, yeah. Kylie Ray and the Young Bucks and, and Chris Jericho. This was the second wave of where all of AEW signings came from. Um, and it's really cool that we were able to put together something so special. And, you know, there were many challenges with that, whether it had to do with streaming equipment or rental equipment for the ring or, you know, licensing, permitting, buildings, all that crap. Um it's really cool that we were still able to put it together. And also during that period of time, we were working with sponsors, uh, third-party sponsors that were sponsoring some of our bigger events. So it was like, you know, IWTV was handling Uncharted Territory, and then, you know, we were able to do some sponsored events throughout New England. At, at one point, we were working with a, a gentleman by the name of Dan uh, through Rock on Concerts that was able to get us into Faneuil Hall. Um, you know, all, you know, he, he had originally brought up Patty's Beach Club, you know, he also was able to get us into six-string uh, grill and stage in Foxborough. So th there was a lot of opportunities where there were so many people working on Beyond Wrestling and, and, and creating resources for it. Uh, but it was all anchored with uncharted territory. It was new. It was exciting. It was something that had never been done before. And uh, it was probably the peak of our popularity uh, up to that point. Yeah. So with Uncharted Territory, you know, moving down to the southeast for season four, um, that obviously... A lot of that, I think, happened because of the the early success you were seeing with uh, Wrestling Open. Um, so Wrestling Open started the beginning of January of this year, and 
you know, tell us about that concept, um, what challenges you had putting it together. And, you know, now that we're eight months into it, how everything's going and, you know, what the future of that, you know, brand, quote unquote, might might be for you. Sure. And I do think that the launch of Wrestling Open and Uncharted Territory moving to the south are kind of intertwined. So, you know, we did the first three weeks of Uncharted Territory and I could just tell between the looming COVID restrictions and, you know, some of the name wrestlers that we had lined up and what the turnouts were and what the level of interest was and what the streaming numbers were on IWTV. I was just able to sit back and say, you know, this is something that was very special when we first did it because like even 205 live wasn't live. It was raw SmackDown and uncharted territory. And through the pandemic, a lot of the companies doing closed tapings and stuff like that copied the format. Um, and even though they weren't streaming live, a lot of them ended up having weekly shows. So it was very difficult when we came back for us to stand out um, and do something special, especially since we were still trying to find our footing with our roster. So after like three or four weeks, I remember I took uh, our commentators, our, basically our entire announce, announce room into the, uh, the ice room at White Eagle. And I was just like, here's my idea. Right now, we have certain wrestlers that are coming in, and they're taking the lion's share of the money. They're not promoting their appearances. They're coming in with all sorts of restrictions. They're not necessarily helping the people that they're working with, and it's up to the people that they're working with to then kind of almost get one over. It's like it's not it's not cooperation. It's not what professional wrestling is all about. Um, what if we were to come up with a concept where – Everybody that performed on the show had equal stake. And, you know, another thing with season three of Uncharted Territory is one of the restrictions that I was required was, you know, we had to we had to jump ticket prices. And while I think revenue wise, it probably evened out. Um, I think that we probably turned away half the amount of people that would have come at ten dollars. So, so I do think that whether it was $10 or $20, the money probably would have stayed relatively similar, but you know, the room could have had doubled capacity on some nights. Um, but then there were other nights where it was just, you know, it's, whether it's weather related, whether, you know, Hey, we just did a big show at on December 5th or 6th or whatever it was. And it's like, Oh, okay, well come Thursday, like 15 people tested positive for COVID. Um, you know, there were just so many challenges, so many obstacles. And, and another idea behind wrestling open was I, wanted to be able to train a number of different people on a number of different roles. So in the event that one person wasn't able to be there, the whole operation wouldn't stop. And so that's kind of where we came up with this idea. We, and we've tossed it around for years, this idea of an open mic night, because the way that wrestling usually works now is like, right for American run, I have to reach out to everybody that I want to compete on American run. I have to book them in a traditional sense uh, with the wrestling open, even though, you know, like when it goes to Reddit or when the newspaper articles go around, people think that it's like an open mic night. So like anybody can just come off the street and fight. That's obviously not what it is. Um, but we've got a couple of different private Facebook groups where people within the circle, um, you know, can sign up to be on. And then depending on the availability, a certain number of, you know, of competitors are chosen. Um, so, so that in and of itself is a completely different um, aspect. It's, it, it's totally different than any other way that wrestling has booked for for at least as long as I've been involved. The idea of signing up to be on a show instead of, instead of the promoter reaching out to you. Um, 
and obviously there was a lot of skepticism. There was somebody that had access to our private Facebook group that took kind of the original idea out of context and got it to the dirt sheets. You know, people with agendas wanting to put a negative spin saying, well, this is Beyond Wrestling's way of getting out of having to pay their talent because they're obviously not doing well. So it's either this or they're going to go out of business. Um, and then, you know, we did the rest of all. Um, and a bunch of people got COVID <laughs> because it was like the height of the third wave because of the holidays. And when we did the first episode of Wrestling Open, you know, there were 60 fans in the room. Um, but I remember thinking this this is the start. And after a couple of weeks... You know, telling the wrestlers, like, hey, if we keep at this, at some point, we're going to be able to get to 150 fans, and then maybe someday 200, and then, you know, maybe 250 fans, like, would be the end goal. Um, and it's just continued to grow. And one of the things that made Uncharted Territory special, when you compare it to the old independent wrestling format, is if you're running monthly shows, you have 12 opportunities a year in order to put your wrestlers in front of a crowd to build that connection to see who's got it. If you're doing weekly shows, those 12 opportunities come in three months. So you can kind of quadruple your opportunities to get wrestlers over by doing weekly as opposed to monthly. And I feel like with wrestling open, going back to that format and uh, you know, uncharted territory had to be run seasonally because there was a set budget for it. But what would happen is you'd build, you'd build, you'd build, and then you'd have fans that came along for the ride. There'd be nothing for them to graduate to. And then by the time you came back for another season, it was like you had to completely rebuild. Without taking any breaks with Wrestling Open, we just build and build and build and build. And there's no end in sight. We just continue to see the crowds grow. Um, I decided to excuse me, introduce um, an incentive card program. Um, you know, if you come four times, the fifth time is free, and then we give you a new card. And then if you come eight times, the ninth time's free, uh, but you get to bring a guest. You know, we try and encourage people never come before. Then if you get 12 filled out on your third card, you get to come to a Beyond Wrestling show for free. So, like, I know there's going to be, you know, a few dozen people that come to American Rana that aren't going to be buying tickets. And that's fine because that means that they've attended six months of Wrestling Open, you know, $600, um, in order to be able to come to American Rana for free. And to me, I think that it, that reward is absolutely worth it. Uh, but we're able to track to see who's never been before. And we've realized that the type of people that are coming to our shows are, I think, really lapsed fans, people that know what professional wrestling is, but they're not actively involved. So this is a way that we're actually creating new fans and making them new independent wrestling fans instead of taking fans away from other companies, which is traditionally what happens as well. So, I mean, I'm telling you, when, when, I, when I came up with the idea for Wrestling Open, it was like, how can we make this bulletproof? How can we make sure that no matter, you know, ha instead of having to be at the, the, the mercy of the ebbs and flows of the wrestling industry, you know, what can we do to really create something that, you know, the forward-facing component, the way that it looks to the fans is still very similar. Um, but we can achieve all of these different goals without having to worry about all these other obstacles. And... Despite the skepticism, you know, there's enough people that were on board that wanted to be a part of it. And I think that Wrestling Open, I mean, not thinking, I know, Wrestling Open right now, in the 32 weeks that we've done it, is, is more successful than Uncharted Territory was in any of the first three rounds that I had with it. And, um, you know, when there was discussions about maybe trying some different things in the South, maybe making, 
you know, Uncharted Terry and IWTV brand, and you know, launching Southeast first, and you know, our production team moving down to the Southeast to see if there were more opportunities to do live streaming and stuff like that. At that point, I felt like I had done everything that I was able to do with the Uncharted Territory format, and I was more interested in seeking my teeth into what Wrestling Open was going to become, and I was curious to see what Uncharted Territory would look like through somebody else's eyes, which elements of Uncharted Territory were important enough that they would be replicated in somebody else's vision, and what defined Uncharted Territory as a program, because I felt like I had completely lost touch with that because I'd become so disillusioned and so discouraged with, with how the start of the season was going and knowing that we were locked in for another couple of months without being able to pivot. So, you know, AC Mack won the match, brought uncharted territory to the South season four is just wrapped up. I don't know what the future, I don't know what the future of uncharted territory is. I think long-term for the benefit of independent wrestling, I would love to see, I don't want to use the word franchise, but I would love to see wrestling open scaled to different scenes, different markets, different locations. If we did a Northeast, a Southeast, a Southwest and a Northwest um, alternating nights of the week. And I think that you'll see those scenes erupt because with the component of the people having to sign up in order to be on it, you know, every single person that wants to be there, regardless of what they're getting paid. And, you know, here we are 30 weeks later, and I can proudly say that the overwhelming majority of people that are involved with Wrestling Open are getting paid more off of Wrestling Open than what they would if they worked for Beyond Wrestling and, and what they do for what their normal uh, bookings are. And it's also expanded the horizon because we're streaming weekly. So, like, there's a lot of different promotions that are always constantly popping up. Our guys are getting a lot of work, and with that work comes experience. They grow the connection with the crowd, and they're just getting better faster than anywhere else. And I feel like maybe the streaming numbers are the one thing where I'm not happy with where they are because it's a lot of new wrestlers. And so for, you know, a national audience, they're not going to have that appeal yet, but but it's going to happen overnight. And all of a sudden, all of our best wrestlers from wrestling open are just going to flood the scene. And it's going to be like, wow. And it makes me feel like it took four years for beyond wrestling from 2019 till the first American run in 2013 for us to find our place. And I feel like, Four months into wrestling open, we had already accomplished as much as we did with the first four years of Beyond Wrestling. So I've got some plans in place for what we're going to do with wrestling open after American Rana. But my goal right now is to make sure that the wrestling open no respect event has an attendance record because we have the captive audience. We're going to have 500 people for American Rana. 256 is the number to beat for wrestling open. So we'll see what happens at no respect. Well, let's get it. We can we can do it, Drew. Um now, speaking of some of those talents, who do you see as standouts so far in the Wrestling Open? And uh, you have such a rich history of guys within Beyond Wrestling. Uh, whose future is bright coming out of Wrestling Open? You know, we've seen a lot of the competitors that competed in the tag team Discovery Gauntlet make their way over to Wrestling Open. So Kylon King, Dustin Waller, the Miracle Generation, uh, Victor Chase and Julio Cruz, the Brick City Boys, uh, JP and Tommy, the Amazing Graysons. I think Bobby Orlando and Bryce Donovan are just undeniable talents in, in the fact that the crowd basically, you know, turned them into good guys uh, organically was something that was really cool. Ichiban's a wrestler I never even heard of. And when I found out he was going to be on the wrestling open soft opening event, which is kind of when, you know, we picked up the slack when Blitzkrieg, uh, you know, bowed out of the rest of the last minute. It was just like, I have no idea who this guy is, but I'm not into it at all. And then I saw him wrestle Alec Price and I'm like, this guy's unbelievable, and just the <laughs> fact that he's been able to show week in and week out 
Um, somebody like Brad Hollister wasn't even on the radar, which is unfortunate, obviously, after the knee injury that he had suffered at Uncharted Territory Season 1. The fact that he has been back in the mix, uh, he's been like a revelation. I think that Tyree Taylor, who lives in Worcester now, um, you know, I, I was kind of surprised that he wasn't involved more with Uncharted Territory Season 3, but he's become a pillar of wrestling open. And then, I mean, the Northeast Beast, Alec Price, like, Sometimes I get to tell him, like, hey, man, <laughs> take a week off, like, slow down. Like, you've got some really big things on the horizon. He just loves wrestling. He's so appreciative. He did not get a big head overall. And, uh, you know, he knows how good he is, but he doesn't act like it. And I just think that we have such an incredible mix of talent. Teddy Goods, Little Mean Kathleen, they bring so much energy to the cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's put it like this. With Wrestling Open, there's a lot more hits than misses. It's Max Caster's helped. I mean, just the, the overall, I think... People walk in the door and they see him and they know they see him on TV every week and it's like, oh wow, this is uh, this isn't a bunch of no names that I've never seen before. Like, and then it makes them kind of perk up more to the who he's wrestling and and who else is you know surrounding him in the car, people that are headlining over him, things of that nature. Um, I think Max has been huge to the overall feel of your show and you know it probably gives them that that like almost like a locker room veteran, somebody that they can kind of look up to every week when they're doing it and. I mean, you're right. I think Orlando and Donovan have really been the standouts to me watching from home. Um, Now, talking about wrestling open, um, now you had a little bit of an issue the week of July 14th. You you weren't able to run the White Eagle um, because there was some some permit issues or whatnot. Now, tell me how that week went for you and how did getting the Palladium work out? You know, I don't know that I ever really got a straight answer on this. Julie, who's my contact with White Eagle, messaged me Monday morning and was like, hey, you can't do the show this week. Uh, I tried to get a hold of you Saturday, but we just got confirmation now. And it was kind of like, okay. Um, And I actually decided to hit up Eric. uh, I hit up a number of people that I know were kind of movers and shakers within the community that I had followed on Twitter. Um, And I think the person that got me in contact with, with the person that inevitably ended up getting into the plating was, uh, was Eric, Eric white, who works with the, the radio station. Um, he comes almost every week and, um, you know, it's kind of funny in all of this is, is there was a gentleman by the name of Eric Lindquist who passed recently, who was coming to all of our shows. And I got to speak with him a few times and he had such a big vision for what wrestling open could become. And it's like, you know, I can't pretend that I knew him on a personal level, but he really liked what we did. And, uh, he, had you know ideas as far as getting us in the palladium or, or off the rails and, and trying to bring wrestling open to Nesson and sometimes like when you're so close to the circle or in the bubble and it's just like you almost don't believe in in, your, in yourself uh, because you know some of the challenges that other people don't um, and I think that that really kind of inspired me to like push through with this particular scenario um, I had called a number of places you know it's very difficult to find a spot that's the right size for a wrestling show because you need to have the high ceiling but like it can't be a place that holds 2,000 people um so there's just not a lot of buildings that can accommodate and we didn't want to take it out of Worcester um we found a place called Tatnuck Post I believe completely other side of Worcester like maybe 15 minutes away from the White Eagle um and I'd kind of resigned myself to the fact that that was where we were going to end up being but logistically, it just seemed like it was going to be really tough. And it was just like, well, let's just do it once, whatever. Uh, we might have to take weeks off anyway. So, you know, our motto is every Thursday forever. Let's do what we can. And if this doesn't work, it's like, well, well at least we tried it. And then uh, 
you know, Tuesday morning, I, I followed up with my contact at the Palladium again that Eric had put me in contact with. And uh, I don't know if he was surprised that nobody had reached out to me. But, but I really feel like what happened is within that 24-hour period, Monday, before we made the announcement, so many people had reached out to different people at the Palladium and let them know, like, what a pillar of the community that Wrestling Open is. And the fact that we have such an eclectic mix of fans, but there's so many people that are involved within, uh, you know, the community of Worcester, Massachusetts, and, and arts and entertainment. And um, if those people didn't go to bat for us, and I'm not spiritual or supernatural or anything like that, but... I don't know. I just I have this this deep feeling that, you know, Eric somehow, you know, just, I'm sorry, the, the gentleman's name from the radio station, by the way, was Ben White. I apologize about that. Um, but but I feel like Eric Lindquist and, and you know, despite his passing, I, I real, really feel like he was somehow still involved with that. Like even one of the people from uh, the Palladium accidentally texted me looking to message somebody else and was like, oh, this is the thing that Eric always used to talk about. Um <laughs> So it's just it's just like one of those things where Tuesday afternoon, I swear to God, I had compiled the tweet. I had the graphic ready to go. I had tagged everybody. And I know this sounds completely like anal retentive, obsessive compulsive, but sometimes I'll have a tweet and I will wait until it's like 155 instead of tweeting it out at 153. I don't know. It's just one of those things that I'll do. I'll wait till we're, we're like every five minutes. And uh, I had it ready to go, and we were going to announce that we were going to be at Tatnuck. And then Chris from the Palladium called me, who I, who I knew Chris because we had a contract to run American Run at the Palladium in 2020 before the pandemic started. In fact, the day that I dropped off the contract, we both kind of were like, might as well just throw it away because we both know that with the pandemic – you know, in lockdown starting and stuff like that, there's no way we're going to even get to American Rana. And then with all of the rescheduled shows, they weren't able to accommodate for 2021, which I understood. Um, they had boxing on the Friday and they were going to be setting up on the Thursday. So we weren't able to get access to the bigger room. Um, I came in with a measuring tape. I think. Uh, what's the name of the band? Oh, no, I'm not going to be able to remember it. I think it was Darkest Hour. It was darkest hour. Like those guys are all in there setting up with their roadies and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, excuse me. Like, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can fit a wrestling ring in here. Those guys must have been like, who is this idiot? <laughs> uh, they probably thought you were spot. off your meds. What's that? Yeah. They probably like, thought you were off your meds. Right. Like, just rolled in off the street. But I measured a spot that was 19 feet by 17 feet. And I said, I think I can fit a ring in here. <laughs> and they had enough faith in what we did that they were like, okay, if you think we can do it, let's do it. Cause enough people have gone to bat. And even then, I don't think that they thought that we were going to be able to get anyone near the amount of people that we got in there on such short notice. Um, I think they had a, a, you know, a number of, of what their baseline expenses were, which we covered. And then a number that they were hoping to recuperate um, at the bar. And there was no scenario in their mind where we were going to get 200 people there. And that's actually the night that we tied our attendance record with uh, 258 paying fans. And even though we didn't get to stream it live, it was such a powerful experience to be able to see how the community came together to make it happen for us. And, you know, I realized that it was a lot of tough vantage points because we had to use the ring that sits on the floor. So fans could really only watch from one side and then on the guardrails. And it's like, 
you know, some people came, they paid their $10, they only stuck around for 10 or 15 minutes, and, you know, it's like, hey, we'll check out the replay on IWTV, we'll see you next week at, at White Eagle. Um, but it's been a goal for a very long time to be able to get to the Palladium, and the ironic thing is, the big room where they were setting up boxing, which is what t- people typically think of when they think of the Palladium, that's what we use for a locker room. So for all of our crew to be able to kind of get a taste of what it was like to be able to run in such a historic venue, it's kind of like, all right, guys, take a look out there, because that's ultimately what we're going to be striving for. And uh, the Palladium had said that, you know, they they were hoping that we'd be able to come back. Um, I think if it wasn't for the vantage points, we'd, we'd probably have worked out something sooner to be able to do something in the upstairs room. Um, I would like to go back. I think that if we were going to do the upstairs room, we'd have to do a higher ticketed event. And we'd have to cut off capacity, probably somewhere around 150, 175 people. And then I'm afraid at that point, with that number of people in there, we might not be able to hit the number to satisfy the bar. Um, so, you know, that's a possibility. But the, at the end of the day, long term, when you when you talk about where we're at and what we want to accomplish, whether it's with Beyond Wrestling, American or on a Wrestling Open, all of these brands being tossed around, my number one goal is I want to run the big room of the Palladium. And I think that now more than ever, we have the possibility of doing that. So it's just really strange how things work out. That Thursday morning that we were in the Palladium, everything got squared away. We've been back at the White Eagle ever since. The White Eagle's our home. The White Eagle bends over backwards to accommodate us. And, uh, you know, that's that's why we don't really venture out anywhere else in Worcester. Um, but should the day come where we start turning people away for consecutive weeks for wrestling open at the White Eagle, you know, it might be time to kind of have that conversation to figure out what the next step is. But even as an individual standalone event, you've got to get back to the Palladium. got to run the big room. Sure, you'll get there, Drew. I'm, I'm confident. I think the, so, too. And the groundwork is laid out, it seems like. So let's get it. With the incentive cards that we give out that we've probably had in the range of about seven or 800 unique fans that have come to Wrestling Open over the past 30 weeks. So it's just a matter of figuring out, like, hey, what do we do to assemble all those people all together on, on one specific day? Um, that's always been one of my challenges doing the events is people don't realize that, yeah, you've got your, you know, your Buckley's, your Rubens that'll stand ringside for, for every event, great loyal fans, but for the 50 or 60 people that you don't immediately recognize, those people constantly change. They're, they're the type of people that are content to go to wrestling once a year. Um, and that, that turnover, uh, even with new fans, even if they enjoy it, even if they like it, it's just not part of their life. It's not a lifestyle the way that it is with some of the other fans too. So um, we love the lifestyle fans. There's no sense of community without them. It's amazing to see what we've built and how positive it is because, because people think that wrestling can be so negative and so toxic and especially the way that people interact with it online. But uh, what we have going in Worcester is something to me that is more important than the number of fans that we draw or, the number of wrestlers that we get to WWE or the number of people that subscribe to IWTV to watch. It's just knowing that we have a community of good people that we can, that we can rely on and that they can rely on us for a good time. And just to be clear, you said you expected about 700 people have showed up the last 30 weeks for wrestling open. Unique. Yes. Because we give out the, the green cards to, it might actually be more than that. It might actually be, I can't remember how many times I got them printed up, but now that I'm saying it out loud, it's probably closer to about 1,200 unique people have come through the doors at White Eagle or Worcester Palladium to see wrestling open. So, you know, our average draw went from 60 to 90 to 120 to 150. We're, we're averaging about 230 fans every week now. Wow. And through doing the event at the Palladium, we were able to get publicity with uh, the Worcester Telegram. 
yep. uh, in Mass Live, and then the Worcester Telegram sent a reporter a couple weeks after. That was just absolutely blow away to me to be front page on the Sunday what? paper, three quarters of the page coverage, and then like another two or three pages on the inside. You know, full color photographs, interviews with fans, wrestlers, and uh, to me, it's just like. I didn't grow up in Worcester, so I don't know as much about Worcester, but, like, I know that Worcester doesn't have, like, a dedicated TV station. So to be on the front page of the newspaper on a Sunday, that's monumental. And we did end up seeing a lot of people that have never been before come the following week. So just going to keep getting the the word out there and come up with different word-of-mouth tactics to continue to grow it. But for the people that come to our shows, seeing somebody like Bobby Orlando means just as much to them as it would be for, like, a diehard fan to see Roman Reigns. You know, they they see what they like and they have that connection. And that's what matters. Yeah. Speaking of that newspaper, I've had so many laps fans send me a screenshot of it just because they know I'm the wrestling guy. As anyone who's listening to this, you're in your friend circle. You're the you're probably the wrestling guy. So I'm a testament to that. Just laps fans, football coaches that I've coached with, just random people in my life just sending me screen capsules or Facebook messages with links to that story. So that's a very cool thing. And I just kind of wanted to let you know that too. It's, it's growing. And t- now you believe 1200. That's just a proof of it. Very cool. I want to say very lucky, but there was a lot of thought that was put into it and we just got the right people in place. It's a huge team now. You know, it's, it kills me. People come up to, to me after the show. They're like, oh, great job, Drew. And it's like, I literally just showed up, <laughs> had a water, and sat down to start paying people. Like, clearly this thing is bigger than me at this point. And I'm really proud of that because when I did feel like I wanted to step away earlier in the year, um, it felt more so that Wrestling Open, like Beyond Wrestling, was going to be used as a way to launch Wrestling Open. And then Wrestling Open would ultimately be my, my lasting legacy. Because, you know, one of the things that bumps me out is I think we had this idea. It's like, oh, my God, let's amass this incredible – uh, library of, of footage with all these incredible matches over the years. And then, you know, when stuff like speaking out happens, um, you know, there's people that you just don't want to associate with anymore that you don't want your brand associated with. And, uh, you know, to me that puts a lot of holes in a lot of cards, you know, one of the things that I'll always stand by is, and people will disagree with me, but orange Cassidy, the turning point of his career was the match that he had with David Starr at electric Hayes, And, no, we would not bring David Starr back or work with him again, even if he wanted to continue to be a wrestler. But to act like that match never happened is not fair to Orange Cassidy and his legacy either. If you start going through and kind of just poking holes in all of these cards, it kind of defeats what we did. But I'm also, I also understand that there's people that don't want anything to do with that and they don't want to support it. At that point, it's like, well, if, if Beyond Wrestling Legacy is only, you know, 60% of, of, of the things that we did that really put us on the map, then it's kind of like the thought process of everything that we've learned with Beyond Wrestling then goes into kind of what this 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 new brand is to kind of give it a fresh start with with the right people that hopefully have learned from the previous generation and won't make the same mistakes. And, you know, we've got the right people in the community to make sure that, that we are policing ourselves so that it doesn't have to go to the fans to police us. We're going to get back to this great interview in just a moment. It is a treat to have Drew Cordero here with us on the North-South Connection Podcast Network. And if you are new to this feed, welcome in. We thank you for taking a chance to checking us out. We are the home to a ton of great wrestling content and beyond. Podcast dropping every single day, Aaron. 
That's right, every single day, and hopefully something for all tastes. We cover classic wrestling, which basically means all our shows on the network are evergreen. Yeah, you can listen to them anytime. So if you've lapsed, if you've lapsed as a WWF fan, don't worry, we've got stuff for you. We've got you yeah. covered. But it's not just that. We've got some TNA action coming up. Yes. We have AEW, current AEW, uh -huh. current WWE. Uh, new generation. We yeah. try to run the full gamut. So if you're a, if you're a continued fan, if you're a lapsed fan, mm -hmm. hopefully there's something here for you. Yeah, and the current day content's really good. So it's every Friday here on North South Connection. We have our current day podcast. We have AEW. You know what that means? Every other Friday. And alternating that is Clotheslines and Headlines 2.0, which dives deep into the world of WWE. But it's the guys you hear here today: Ryan Gray, Mike Rossi, and a few others as well. Not only cover WWE, but they do an indie corner as well, right? So you're hearing us talk to Drew here, talking beyond wrestling. Exactly. They talk beyond every episode. They talk GCW every episode and any other big pertinent indie shows that are happening. So we are super proud to have that level of insight and depth in our current wrestling coverage. Absolutely. And it doesn't just stop there. After every single major pay-per-view or big event, yep. whether it be uh, WWE, NXT, AEW, hell, even maybe in the future some GCW yeah, or why Indies, not? Yeah. whatever, why not? We got uh, Marcus Fuller and uh, Tim, not the tool man, Taylor, <laughs> Correct. Uh, doing viewer's choice. And that comes out uh, almost immediately following. Yeah, it's show. like within like an hour and a half at max. That is live. So if you missed it, you want to hear. They, they don't do a full recap either. It's like a 40-minute listen. They kind of say what hit, what didn't, uh, what you should check out, what you can miss. Uh, so you know, if you, if you happen to not catch or you just want to relive the action, they're there for you. Uh, we have great, you know, a lot of great veteran voices too, and like I said, there's just content there for you every day that we're we're all super proud of. Um, I, I think if you're especially a big nerd wrestling fan, like if you like lists, if you like countdowns, if you like deep dives, chronological journeys, we got all that for you, and we sprinkle in some pop culture as well. Speaking of pop culture, that music you're hearing right now. If you're into weird, multi-influenced death metal bands, check out our good buddy Rocco Martone's band, Chained to the Dead. You can find him on YouTube, social media, everywhere. And Rocco's one of the hosts right here on the North South Connection. We're very, very uh, multi-talented across the board here. So be sure to check us out. Find us on any social media platform, North South Connection. Go over to Podcatcher app today. Subscribe to the North South Connection. Content drops daily. Share it with a friend. And thank you for listening. Go back to Ryan, Mike, and Drew. Alright, so this Sunday we got American Rana coming up. Rossi, can you give, just run it down a quick history of American Rana and why is this beyond wrestling's quote-unquote WrestleMania? Yes, this is, this is WrestleMania 8 for Brian Beyond Wrestling with American Rana. It's the eighth one in history. Um, third one in Worcester. Um, they were able to, to come through in, uh, what, 17 and 18, and then they, they did the detour to Foxwoods in 19. Um, but obviously the last two years happened, COVID and Mother Nature um, kept them away in 20 and 2021. 20, um, now, I've personally been to five. I went to 14 through 18, so I missed the first one and the, and the most recent one. Um, Ryan, you've been to three, right? 17, 18, 19. Uh, you were down there in Foxwoods. Correct. Cool, cool, cool. So American Rana. So it, it's kind of become a staple, I think, of like the indie wrestling scene. It's one of those showcase events um, right up there, in my opinion, to the East Coast, to what like a bola might be to PWG. 
Um, it just kind of always had that mystique and kind of what you're saying before. It is unfortunate that some of those like marquee matches might be things that you can't really speak of anymore. Um, <laughs> but that's where the future is going to be. Right. So now what goes into putting knowing that it's kind of your signature event every year, Drew, what goes into putting an American Rana together? That's a good question. Uh, you know, because we weren't able to do it for two years and because 2019 was such a, a wildly different process with, with, you know, somebody else involved, kind of almost set up like a third party show, um, through Foxwoods. Um, you know, I can't even really speak to my thought process from last year, but the thought process this year was let's take a look at our roster. Let's see who maybe the wrestlers that are most established that our fans are going to best recognize who they are. And let's put them in positions where they can um, prove themselves against other wrestlers that have broken out on a national level. Um, at one point when the American Rana card was first outlined this year, it was streamlined to be a little bit shorter and a little bit more of a super card and a little less opportunities for certain wrestlers. But then when I kind of looked at like, you know, somebody like Ryan Gallione had this incredible run for us on Charted Territory Season 3, and he's somebody that's competed on and off with us for, you know, the better part of a decade. Somebody like Rex Lawless completely reinvented himself in Wrestling Open, um, has gotten in the best shape of his entire career. It's just like, to me, that's the type of match that American Rana is perfect for because you have two people that are going to be in front of an audience of 500 people, thousands streaming it online, and it's their chance to show the world what they're capable of. You know, a match like Wheeler Uta versus Timothy Thatcher maybe drawing in new fans that aren't familiar with Beyond Wrestling or aren't familiar with Rex Lawless or aren't familiar with Ryan Gallione. But now I have faith in my crew to be able to step up and make these people fans of them. The American Rana 21 card went through a number of different iterations. You know, 1.2, it was a matter of trying to figure out, like, hey, can we get in the Palladium? And to hear naysayers be like, well, you've never done a thousand people before. What makes you think you could do a thousand people now? Knowing some of the struggles that we've had earlier in the year. Yeah, I'm not the type of guy that's motivated by that kind of negativity. The naysayers don't do anything for me. I, I, everything is based on my own expectations that I set in my mind. Um, but with American Rana, I wanted it to be a statement card. And I really, this year especially, wanted to feature as many of the performers that we would have access to that have gone on to find success elsewhere featured up and down the card. So that's why it's, you know, having Wheeler Yuta, having Eddie Kingston, having Ortiz, having Willow Nightingale as big parts of the event. But then also, yes, we have Slade. Yes, we have Alec Price. Yes, we have Masha Slamovich. Yes, we have Waves and Curls. Yes, we have Tracy Williams. It's really cool to be able to have this specific mix. And if anything, the last years has taught us is that, you know, these types of events are special because you wait once a year for them, and that's not even a guarantee. So to be able to put together this lineup, it's it's a once-in-a-lifetime lineup, and it's uh, like a snapshot of everything that's going on, both in Beyond Wrestling, Independent Wrestling, and, and Professional Wrestling as a whole. Um, I think for previous years, American Ranas, it was a matter of trying to put together marquee matches and, and, and do a lot more stuff with stories. Um, a lot of our stories are carried on Wrestling Open right now. So I feel like this year for American Rana, rather than it being a culmination of a lot of rivalries, it becomes more of a, I don't want to say an exhibition card, but more of a celebration of the people that we've worked with and we will continue to work with in the future. So that dynamic is certainly a lot different this year. Gotcha. That's good stuff. Do you, do you consider this to be the toughest American Rana that you've had to put together? 
I feel like last year was a pain in the ass too. And I feel like last year we kind of ended, it didn't have a signature match. And, uh, you know, even though we had Dickinson versus rally kind of announced as the main event, you know, people kind of knew something was up, but you know, at the time it was like, is it going to be violence unlimited? Is it going to be Pazuzu? Is it going to be, you know, a GCW crew is going to be, you know, something completely different. And, you know, leaving that question unanswered, not be able to deliver not being able to ever get back to it. Um, certainly very tough. So rather than kind of have any surprises for this year, I wanted to, I wanted to show everything, but traditionally with American Rana, we show everything all at once before tickets go on sale. We're lucky that American Rana has so much name value and means so much to so many fans and that we haven't betrayed the trust of our audience that they were with it, (laughs) you know, and we sold many of the tickets while we were still trying to figure out where the card was going to land. Um, I pretty much, if you were to look at the first version of the card versus the announced card that we have right now, I think the only match that stayed the same was Lufisto versus Trisha Dora. And that's why I got ahead announcing that as fast as, as we could, because I felt like we were starting to lose some steam um, from when the tickets initially went on sale with some of the talent announcements and not being able to put together matches. I mean, Thursday, uh, what was the date? Thursday, August 4th, I was working on the food truck and uh, Tim Tim Thatcher emailed me. And basically, he was somebody that I'd reached out to for the date originally that was unavailable. And Thatcher was like, hey, I'm, I'm around now. And it's just like from the time that I, I left the food truck until I drove to White Eagle uh, to get there for a wrestling open, it was a matter of shifting the card around and, and finding a spot for Thatcher. And uh, being able to run Wheeler Uta versus Timothy Thatcher, I felt like we were able to add uh, a, a main event caliber signature first time ever legitimate dream match between two superstars in wrestling with Wheeler Yuta and everything he's done on TV and being able to wrestle Chris Jericho and being, you know, uh, an equal member of the Blackpool Combat Club and then Thatcher and kind of the mystique around him by not being on social media and and somebody that seemingly was a a victim of of a regime change. You know, he's somebody that I could see as, as Karrion Cross and Dexter Loomis pop up on NXT. I could see, or on WWE TV, I could see Timothy Thatcher going back in a heartbeat. Um, going over and competing in Japan, somebody that made it seem like, you know, when he, when he got released, that may never wrestle again. Uh, but stylistically he matches up so well with Wheeler Yuta. Um, you know, as, as much as Eddie Kingston and Slade, you know, that, that was a match that, you know, Slade had challenged for, I mean, that, that was a big time match, but you know, other drafts of the card, you know, at some point it looked like we were going to do another match with Alec Price and Masha Slamovich because Masha Slamovich, you know, gave Alec Price his first loss at WWR plus back in June, albeit in a tag team match. So, so I think there's unfinished business there, but that's something that doesn't necessarily need to play out on American Rana. Um, You know, we saw Mark Sterling and, and Bear Country lay out Ricky Shane Page after his match at Please Come Back, saying it was a message delivered by Bright. Brian Myers, um, you know, Cardona, somebody that I would have expected to be involved with American Rana before he went out with an injury. Um, you know, there's just a lot of different scenarios, um, different matchups, different combinations. But American Rana is American Rana because we always put our best foot forward. And uh, I think the card that we've put together is without question the best variation of all the cards that we drafted. And it was just that feeling of relief when Thatcher became available. That was just like, this is the, this is the thing that's going to completely put it over the top. Yeah. Very cool. What America run a match or event are you most proud of to date? Uh, 
I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a favorites type. You know, I think the first American Rano, I just, I remember sitting in my basement with Biff staying up all night afterwards and we were just like beaming with energy. It was just almost like an out of body experience where it was like, I can't believe that we really did this, you know, and then to go fast forward to 2019 to be able to draw, you know, almost four times the amount of fans at Foxwood, which nobody had ever run a wrestling show there before. Um, But that was bittersweet because I wasn't as hands on with that as I had been with previous American Ranas. I remember Santana and Ortiz wrestling the Lucha Brothers and just it's just being blown away in general by mm-hmm. a performance of that caliber and thinking how lucky we were to be able to host it. I, I think that the culmination of, of the, the Beyond Wrestling Aces and that entire storyline where, you know, it went from Dijak who was undefeated and then losing to Riddle and then Riddle remained undefeated and then, and then losing to Janela going on for his, his series of matches with David Starr. I think that that was something that defined a, a lot of the American Ranas. And it, it's funny now because there was never that passing of the torch moment, but, but the fans still kind of nominated Alec Price just through his performances uh, as, as the best wrestler that we have. And, th- and that's, what's cool about kind of the ACE moniker. It's, it's not a title ball. It's not official. Uh, it's the people's championship. So <laughs> to be able to see Alec Price now go, you know, and, and go one-on-one with Ortiz, um, who's another legend of beyond wrestling after his last high profile match was defeating Biff Busick in, in what could end up being Biff Busick's final match. Um, there's just a lot of different scenarios and situations and little stories that kind of all come together that are just going to make, uh, you know, and then and then it's like we can just hit you with something out of left field like Swaggle versus Sidney Bacabella. And it's like, what the hell is that going to be like? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there's nothing else on the card that's going to be like it because there's probably nothing else that's ever happened in wrestling that's going to be like it. <laughs> that's true. Uh, do you have any matches? And this is kind of behind the curtain, but do you have any matches that you had set for an American Rana that fell apart that you kind of are bummed out that you never got to do it again? Uh, are there any that you know of off the top of your head? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't think of any. That's why I came up with this with this question because I was I'm curious. To think. I feel like everything that we had set for Foxwoods pretty much went off without a hitch. Kim and Statlander in the cage. Artie Evans, Orange Cassidy, Dickinson and Sekimoto, David Starr, Joey Janela, Iron Man match. I mean, th- those are some big time matches. Bear Country and Santana and Ortiz. Um, and I'm trying to think, going back to, to previous American Ranas, I think that we've had a, a pretty good amount of luck. You know, and it's funny, too, because, like, even even years where it's like there's just a lot of matches on the card, it's like, well, you still find room for a match like Danny Cannon versus Speedball or a match like Keith Lee versus Brian Cage. Yeah, um, and even going back to, like, 2016, um, like, you know, something unfortunate happens right before intermission, like the uh, the soundboard gets all fucked up and... You're not able to continue on with audio for the rest of the night. And I almost felt like that made the show because of the way that the crowd started like singing the, the songs and singing people to the ring. <laughs> that was just such a unique atmosphere. People's, and it was good that it was, you know, theme songs that were fun for people to sing, like Chompas at the time and things of that nature. But that was such a unique experience that even, you're right, even when you've had kind of a hiccup, like not like losing sound halfway through your biggest show of the year, right? Like audio for the uh, music, 
you were still able to kind of create a cool moment out of it that, you know, you don't even have control. The kind of the fans kind of just took control of it that day. And and it was that was a really cool environment. And then that entire show had like the pacing of like the uh, the open metal weight title that was bouncing around between like it felt like everybody in the building won it that night. Um, that was just such a unique atmosphere versus um, like all of the other shows. Obviously, 17 was one that, you know, first one in Worcester, that show felt special. I feel like uh, more special than a lot of them did um, just because of, you know, the, in the environment, how packed that place was that Lucha brothers match. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mostly asked that question to see if there's anything that I, I guess the, didn't the only, know about. The only match that comes to mind um, was when Trent Beretta got hurt teaming with Chuck Taylor against team tremendous. And then we were going to run the match back the previous or, or the following year. And uh, Bill Carr got hurt. And so it ended up being Dick Justice and Dan Barry against against best friends. So let's look at this card this weekend. So you're at a sold out Eagle, which is awesome. You get the 500 packed to the gills. You've got that 2 p.m. wrestling open show that's set up now. Uh, what are we looking at for that wrestling called No Respect, which uh, you still can buy tickets for at uh, beyondwrestlingonline.com right now? Sure. Well, if, if there's any reserved seats left, they'll be available um, actually shop IWTV.com. Um, but otherwise all tickets are still going to be $10 at the door. And we've got the finals of the Saturn and Cronus Eliminator Cup tag team tournament with the Brick City Boys and the Miracle Generation. We've got Ray Jazz and Marcus Mathers. We got Tyree Taylor and Brad Hollister, their long-standing feud. Max Caster is going to be in the house. And a few other surprises uh, as well. I would imagine are some of our favorites and maybe some unfamiliar faces popping up on Wrestling Open as well. And um, that's the first real Wrestling Open special since the soft opening. Um, and now that we've kind of figured out what the Wrestling Open format is, I, I think that we will stay true to that. So $10 tickets at the door um, unless you want reserved seating, which is available in advance online. Um I would anticipate that show is going to go from two to four o'clock, maybe a little bit after that. But the challenge is for that roster to understand the importance of having a captive audience for American Rana and seeing what we can do to get as many bodies in the building as possible. I, re I really want to break an attendance record uh, for wrestling open in no respect. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, you should. I mean, the 500 people, you got to think that that someone will be coming in early. Um, so that, yeah, very cool. Very cool. And I mean, there's there's plenty of places for them to eat around the area between uh, four and seven. Um, are the Woosox at home that day? I don't know. You know, I don't I, I don't know if they are. It surprisingly hasn't been too much of a factor for wrestling open one way or another. So um, I'm not sweating it. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so let's run through this card a little bit. So we've got uh, Waves and Curls and Willow Nightingale um, in trios action. That's going to be their first American Rana for all three of those. I was actually surprised to see that this is Willow's first, but when you take the last two years out, it makes more sense. Um, and then they're going to be facing off against the Righteous, which is Dutch, the uh, the former Bill Carr, who's 2-1 and one in American Rana, um, with the first Rana of Vincent and Vita Von Starr. Um, Righteous did some cool stuff over in ROH, and, you know, they just were able to work uh, the, the rebranded ROH, losing the, the uh, trios titles to Dalton Castle and the boys. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on this match? What put this one together? You know, earlier in the year, we had Waves and Curls 
uh, teaming with Willow, and it was supposed to be against Trisha Dorn in the case of the district. And it was a match that, unfortunately, we weren't able to put together since uh, the card needed to be moved around. Willow ended up having that unbelievable match with Jordan Grace and Encore stepped up to team with Waves and Curls. Um, I just wasn't entirely sure what Willow Nightingale's single match was going to look like in American Ron. I was really trying to line up first time ever female opponent. And uh, I just thought it was really cool to be able to revisit this 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 trio that we weren't able to uh, pull the trigger on earlier in the year. And wouldn't you know it, Mr. Bill Carr, old, uh, old D- death walks himself Dutch and uh, Vincent and Vita Von Starr stepping up to the challenge. Good stuff. And then the the next one's a uh, kind of we already mentioned it today, but uh, Ryan Gallion, who's actually been in three rounds of the one and two record against Rex Lawless. Now, what's interesting here is, you know, we're talking about the resurgence of Rex Lawless. He uh, he hasn't been on a Rana since 2014. <laughs> he was in a, a 11 team battle royal there. Um, and Gallion did uh, a couple matches with uh, Myers um, over 14, 15. Um, and there was in a handicap in 17, but this kind of reminds me of like kind of that Hoss battle that we've had in some prior runners, whether it was, you know, your cage and your Lee it's in, what is that? 16, I think. Um, or your, um, Brody and Briggs in, in, uh, 17, 18, whatever that was. Um, this kind of fits that bill. And, and I feel like these two can really tear the house down. Yep. I, and I think that it's, one of them is going to not launch themselves into a national spotlight with this match. That's how I feel. If not both of them, uh, big, big man wrestling never goes out of style. And with Rex being in the shape that he's in and with, with Galleon kind of having a, an attitude that every single match could be his last. I just think that there's finally that, that maturation process where both guys are ready. Now, do you think that Lawless is going to be effective with his Veer match from a few months ago? You know, I'm going to I'm going to tell you something a little about about Rex Lawless. Uh, he informed me that he wrestled for all of July uh, with a detached retina from an eye injury that he had in June that went misdiagnosed. So wow. he's been taking it easy in August and uh, he expects to be fully recovered from that. Um, but that's just insane to me. <laughs> you know, that just goes to show you like this this, this guy's got to run in him and, and nothing's going to stop him. Always liked Rex, so it's it's cool to see. Um, oh, next uh, tag action. This is a match that was just changed, um, you know, in the last week or week to ten days. Um, the foundation of Rhett Titus, um, who's in his first Rana, teaming with Hot Sauce Tracy Williams, is actually in his fifth. This is he's three and one before. Might be the best record ever, actually. Um, and then Fancy Nerds are the opponents. Uh, that's Thomas Santel, who's been in one Rana when he won with Gage at Foxwoods, um, and he's teaming up with Fancy Ryan Clancy, who is really the big name from Wrestling Open that's getting the promotion here. So talk to me a little bit about this match. You know, obviously Santel and Gage was the the nerd or death kill. That was something that people loved. And, uh, you know, Gage being exclusive, not really wrestling as much nowadays. And then and then Santel went away for a long period of time. But he came back, and uh, Fancy Ryan Clancy is one of those competitors that when, when I look at the success of Wrestling Open, it's just like, He's somebody that could really benefit by being in front of that wrestling open audience. So, you know, it's it's a different dynamic, the fancy nerds from Nerd or Death Kill. But um, when I talk about a lack, a lack of access to veterans, Santel is still one uh, that we now have access to. And I think that Ryan Clancy is, is the perfect person to be under his learning tree. Um, originally supposed to be Tracy Williams teaming with Wheeler Yuta. Um, and Rhett Titus was somebody that when we were kind of looking to resock the roster – 
um, in 2021. He was somebody that checked off a lot of boxes in terms of having that national visibility with a ring of honor. Somehow still being like in his early 30s, even though I feel like he's been wrestling for like 20 years <laughs> um, and then just being in amazing shape. Uh, I think that Rhett is perennially underrated, wicked nice guy. And when the spot opened up, he was he was the first person that I thought of. And obviously with his history teaming with Tracy Williams, I mean, Tracy Williams is a beyond wrestling stalwart. But the timing of his departure is interesting, too, because he left seemingly right before the pandemic with Ring of Honor. What happened with Ring of Honor with them laying everybody off? And, you know, he comes back in, in a mentality where it's like he has to figure out where he fits in in an independent wrestling landscape, but he's a hell of a wrestler. So uh, I think stylistically, all four of these guys match up very well. Clancy has the most to gain from it, but it's a cool opportunity for Santel uh, to be back in American Rana, for Hot Sauce to reestablish himself, and, and, and for Rhett to still show what he's capable of. Um, as young as he is, but as late as late in his career as he is. Yeah, that's a really cool match because I think that the styles there really mesh well. Um, Santel should be able to really show his best uh, mat work with uh, those opponents. So that's very cool. All right, and uh, we go to the the goofy part of the night. We got Swoggle, who's 0-2 at, at Beyond uh, at American Rana history. He's going up against the debuting American Rana match of Sidney Bacabella. What the hell put this match together, Drew? <clears throat> um, Swaggle hit me up and he said that he wanted to wrestle Sidney Bacabella, and I didn't even question it because it sounds so stupid <laughs> in the best possible way. So, Bacabella, Channing Thomas, the rest of them, they can all be damned. I'm not worried about <laughs> what their involvement with wrestling open is for the day. I want to just bring some levity to the card, and if there's anybody that can do it, it it's, it's the man that I fired from beyond championship wrestling, Swaggle. And uh, <laughs> Sydney Bacabella. Yeah, that's that's super funny. That that'll be entertaining. Um, and then you know we mentioned it before the first match that you actually announced, Lafisto is actually her only her second run. I was surprised to to see that. Um, she did uh, defeat Dickinson and Jaka with uh, Jordan back in 17, um, doing battle with the, the first runner of Trisha Dora. Now, Adora really became a regular in uh, 2021 for you um, for both Beyond and WWR. So um, this this definitely kind of a female dream match. Uh, this is definitely one you're excited about. I could tell already. Yep. First time ever match between Lufisto and uh, Trisha Dora. And it was just a no brainer to be able to put this one together. If, if nobody else has gotten to it yet, then it's, you know, an honor for us to be able to pull the trigger. And then we got another women's match, uh, both of their first American Rana, uh, Masha Slamovich against Becca. So a little bit of an offshoot of that, uh, aforementioned WWR match where, uh, Masha and, um, I can't think of his name. Akira was Akira, able, yes. were able, yeah, we're able to defeat Becker and Alec price at, um, WWR plus, um, so this is kind of a way to extend that feud while not, you know, going right to the trigger of the Masha Alec Price singles match. And, you know, uh, Becca was somebody that was an integral part of a, a, a lot of our programming. Um, she's been touring Europe. Obviously, she had an injury the first time, but she went back and she's had a successful second tour. To me, she feels like a can't miss prospect <clears throat> coming out of New England. Um but Masha and Alec Price are like 1A, 1B as far as like who's the ace of Beyond Wrestling. And this is like a really, really big test for Becca. 
I think. She's wrestled Masha a couple times, Limitless. Obviously, they did the tag match, but Becca is early in her career. Masha, I feel like, has wrestled more places than anybody else in the last two years. Um, so the same way <clears throat> that we have somebody like Fancy Ryan Clancy in his first American Rana match, um, even though our crowd may be more familiar with Becca, I think that she should be approaching the match in the same way, but kind of just knowing her demeanor and how she thinks that she's some sort of pop star, uh, she probably thinks that she probably should have got a better opponent. So I think Masha is going to whoop her ass. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, this is going to be – this is a really cool match. This might be the one I'm looking forward to the most, um, just because of kind of how it plays off on paper. We've got uh, Ortiz – who is entering his eighth American Rana. Yes, he is the only person that will be a part of all of the American Ranas when this match goes down. And not only that, but what's really cool about this is it's going to be his first singles match at an American Rana. Um, And opposite of the spectrum, his opponent's going to be Alec Price um, in his first American Rana, who's definitely been, you know, carrying the beyond wrestling open flag for the last, you know, what, year and a half, two years now. So this is a really cool clash of, you know, kind of that, historical like almost mount rushmore face of beyond wrestling with ortiz um against the guy that's been holding it down for the last couple of years so um this is awesome and you know obviously i want to hear your thoughts on why this one's going to be special to you again it's just like trying to find the right match the right combinations the right combinations for both the competitors but also the right combination that makes the most sense on the card and you know what's going to be the biggest match for the fans when Ortiz first got announced, I saw a lot of people speculating that he was going to wrestle Alec, even though that wasn't the original plan. I, I thought he had a blow-away a blow away match with Jonathan Gresham back at Monkey Business. I, I was actually kind of surprised that um, it didn't lead to more opportunities. Um, but I think that Ortiz, when we talk about like the transformation that Rex Lawless went through, I mean, Ortiz has just gotten his body in tip-top shape. Um still so super fun to be around just you can't watch the guy wrestle and not be happy he's just an electrifying performer and he has as much to prove as a singles wrestler now i feel as alec has to prove that he really is the best wrestler in beyond wrestling right now it's not going to be an easy night for either guy and i could see this i don't want to say it's going to be the show stealer because i think that it's probably maybe the top match already. Um, but I could see it maybe being a lot more physical than what people would, would think about on the outside looking in. Um, Cause as fun loving as Ortiz is, we also know that he can get down and dirty too. And uh, Alex Price just has the weight of the weight of the world on his shoulders. Cause right, he's next in line, right? We all know that we're like, we're talking about the elephant in the room. So it's a matter of when, not if, um, but then he has to continue to build and maintain his reputation through that entire period. So you can't slip up, especially at a platform like American Rana, especially against a wrestler like Ortiz. I would not be able to be effective under that kind of pressure. Uh, Alec Price continues to be so. Yeah, he seems to thrive off of it for sure. Um, and then a match that's probably going to get a little little ugly. Uh, um, Slade is in his first American Rana. He's been calling this guy out for about a month now. Um, facing off against Eddie Kingston, um, who has really just become this like mega star in wrestling over the last couple of years, ever since that AEW debut. And, you know, so many iconic moments for him in AEW so far. I mean, 
my one of my lasting memories of this year so far was him running to the ring with a gas can in his hand, um, looking like he's just a complete fucking lunatic. Um, this is surprisingly his first American Rana singles match as well. He was in two 10 mans in 15 and 16, losing respectively. Um, so Kingston and Slade. Now you, you draw this on paper. Do you um, make sure that you got the authorities nearby when this one starts? Let me put it like this. It's the type of match that I love to watch and I hate to run because I hate the liability involved. Um, two complete friggin' maniacs that are just going to batter each other senseless. Um, and they'll be happy about it when it's over, uh, as will the fans. But I will be probably standing as far away as possible, like peeking through a curtain just to make sure that nobody dies. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. Eddie Kingston, when when we were talking about the, the thought process of putting American Ronald together, he was the very first person that came to mind. And I feel like his superstardom is undeniable. I feel like he is a, a perennial main eventer um, in in AEW, and, and it's almost a scenario where if he's not constantly positioned at the top, um, if he's underrated, then he can flourish on the indies. And I, I've seen so many different companies that are going to be featuring him over the next couple of months. It's the one that, that he always had in him and always deserved. And to be able to have this, like, king of the indies run – it's just funny, too, especially paralleling his career with Chris Hero. For Kingston to be in a position to finally have this king of the indies around while also being featured as a main player on national TV, it's just not everybody takes the same path. Um, for a long time, it seemed like it wasn't going to happen for him. It's awesome that it's finally happening for him. Uh, Slade, he's another one. He's just like, when you think of Beyond Wrestling and, and, and the different wrestlers that flourished coming out of the pandemic area, if, if Masha and Alec are 1A and 1B, then, then to me, Slade is 1C. So, huge opportunity for him. The last time he had a big match uh, against J.D. Drake at, at the Restival, you know, he came up short. Um, hopefully he's learned from that encounter, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. He doesn't even care if he wins, though. That's the great. He just wants to fight somebody. Nobody's going to give him a better fight than Eddie Kingston. Yeah, and, and to your point, yeah, Eddie Kingston, truly one of the good guys in the industry. It's awesome to see this, you know, I feel like this is kind of his victory lap, this little indie run he's going, in, and it's really cool to see that you were one of the first that uh, brought that back to him. So awesome, awesome, awesome. And then the match that we talked about a little bit earlier, um, kind of the – Indie dream match that I don't think people really knew they wanted um, until it was announced. And now they realize, oh, this match is going to be fucking awesome. Timothy Thatcher, who's just back from a tour in Noah. Um, first American Rana for him against Wheeler Yuta, um, who's, you know, been in two Ranas. He lost the hot sauce in 18 and Chuck O'Neill actually at uh, Foxwoods um, in a, a one of the first matches on the show. Um, Yuta's in obviously a parallel universe now than where he was in 2019. Um, the guy's just completely blown up in the last year. Um, really, you know, when you came back to, you know, shows at the Eagle in 2021, um, he was the guy that, you know, definitely carried himself as the biggest star in those shows anyways. And it's just been further compounded by this run in the, um, BCC. So I'm super excited to see this match and, and this styles clash is going to mesh so well. Um, both their styles are pretty similar, but also pretty different at once. Thatcher just has a different style to how he does everything that we really don't see in the industry anymore. Um, other than like, your, you know, your Walters of the world. Um, so tell me about this match, you know, why this match automatically became the, the right one for Thatcher when you knew he was available. And um, 
you know, I know you're you're into matches like this, Drew. So what what's the excitement level for you on this one? You know, I think the link in all this is Drew Gulak because Gulak was the person that went to bat for Timothy Thatcher to get him booked in Beyond Wrestling initially. I think the first match he did was a singles match with John Silver on one of our uh, secret shows that we used to do at the Chop Shop across the street from FET um, when we do our doubleheader days scouting new talent. And uh, I remember him having a match with Dalton Castle at CZW when they were in kind of a changing of the guard. And uh, it was the match that he had at Beyond Wrestling that made me say, okay, this guy is somebody. And then it's funny, when you become a wrestler's wrestler, all the wrestlers want to wrestle you. And then you end up getting bigger opportunities because of it. But the match that we did with Timothy Thatcher and Biff Busick, I mean, again, you throw Drew Gulak in the mix, and, and those guys were at the forefront of the style that, you know, started in Beyond Wrestling, got popular with uh, Evolve Wrestling, and then basically ended up infiltrating all of independent wrestling for a number of years. Um, Yuta was attracted to wrestling and started training at the height of that. So, in a way, it's almost like a generational dream match, too, since Yuta is of a different generation, but he's been around a lot of the same people. He's employed a lot of the same stuff. The fact that this is a first-time ever match actually kind of blows my mind. I can't believe that they wouldn't have been able to wrestle otherwise, but I don't know that Yuta would have ever been able to be seen as an equal or maybe even the superior at this point if it wasn't for the amount of momentum that he has behind him now as part of the Blackpool Combat Club. So, you know, timing is everything. If this match was to have happened a couple of years ago, who knows how it would have gone. But it's kind of interesting because Yuta made his Beyond Wrestling debut at one of the secret shows that we did when we first moved to Electric Haze called Good Karma in a singles match with NJF. And Yuta was one of those guys to me, um, you know, especially during the pandemic when I was looking at a lot of different stats and, and you know, spreadsheets that Brendan Thirst was compiling and stuff like that. Like, I felt like there was a sweet spot number where if you had wrestled between 40 and 50 matches for Beyond Wrestling, like, that was the right time in order to be able to break out on a national level. If it was less than that, sometimes you got plucked a little bit too soon and you weren't going to have both the know-how and the notoriety to back it up. And I felt like anybody that kind of went past that point it was just like, there's no other scenario that we're going to be able to put you in that's going to be able to elevate your profile more than what we've already done up to this point. Um, Yuta landed perfectly in that sweet spot. And I even felt like in 2021 when we came back with him, it, to me it was like, there's nobody better. This this guy is the guy for us right now. And I felt like we were a little ahead of our time. So the people that have been along for the seat, that's the thing. If you follow Beyond Wrestling over the years and you're, and you're with it the whole time, you're able to see all of these special combinations, performances, the blossoming of the career. So that way when Wheeler Yuta goes and he's, you know, in front of the dynamite crowd in Worcester, Massachusetts, the people that followed him at Beyond Wrestling already know what's up. And if you're a fan of his work, you know, a, a performer or an athlete, they only wrestle for a certain period of time. You've missed out on some of his best work already. So it's that's where it's cool that we have the documentation, the library to be able to go back and revisit some of those key matches and moments. But um, for my money, this is this of, of a card that has a triple main with with or a triple main event with Ortiz and Alec Kingston and Slade and, and Thatcher and Yuta. For my money, this is the main event. All right, Drew. Well, this card looks really, really strong on paper, and I'm sure, like you said, you will over deliver as always. But do you have anything to plug before we get out of here, or do you have anything, you know, any thoughts coming out of Rana that you might want to? kind of throw out to the ether 
you know, I'm excited to see some of the big announcements we're going to have for Wrestling Open. But Wrestling Open will still be every Thursday going forward at White Eagle in Worcester, Massachusetts. Tickets are upstairs, 7.30, at the door every single Thursday. show usually starts around 8 o'clock and usually runs till about 10 o'clock. We stream that live on IWTV every single Thursday. I'm going to do that every Thursday for the rest of my life. At some point, I want to run a wrestling show every single day for a year. We're not there yet. Um, but but Wrestling Open and that entire crew and how hard they work and how they're all on the come up is just something that's so special, so ahead of its time. And uh, I, I think the... The thing that maybe doesn't get discussed enough is what does the future of Beyond Wrestling look like outside of Wrestling Open? And, you know, I think we've got a few days to figure out if there's going to be another Restival uh, at the end of 2022, who's going to be involved in that, what that looks like. You know, if, if American Rana and Heavy Lies the Crown are Beyond Wrestling signature events, are there any other signature events worth revisiting between the two events? Um, so I think there's a lot of unanswered questions for beyond whereas wrestling opens future seems much more certain, but I think that if you remove beyond wrestling from the equation, um, you know, wrestling open isn't nearly as effective. So it's going to be a challenge for us after American Rana. The thing that is funny to me is like, if we had the kind of support year round that we do for American Rana, we'd be able to put together American Rana caliber cards every single month. But then American water, American run wouldn't be special. There wouldn't be room for these other ideas. So uh, I'm, I'm just grateful for what we have so far. Obviously, if you can't make it to either no respect or American Rana, please subscribe to IWTV.live independent wrestling television, just $10 a month. That's the best way to follow everything that we do. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond wrestling. And, Again, being at the mercy of somebody else's platform and all of the ebbs and flows that the industry and, uh, you know, just entertainment in general go through. It, it, it becomes frustrating when you're building, you're building, you're building, and then something stalls out seemingly through no fault of your own. Um, but it would be cool before I kick the bucket if we get 10 million subscribers someday. We're at 3.5 right now. And that's a million. <laughs> yeah, 3.5 million <laughs> Believe me when I say that that YouTube money has bailed us out on more than one occasion. Now, uh, I have one final question, Drew. Sure. I know before the pandemic, you were always hinting about opening a wrestling school and get that going. Do you still have that kind of aspirations? And if so, I'd love to, but, are you but at the scene that? has changed so much. We we would, you know, at one point it was going to be Dickinson running the school, and then the pandemic happened, and he had New Japan commitments, and you know it didn't. He, he was unavailable from that point. And then uh, actually Ken Doan was going to be involved, but then he ended up going back to WWE as a producer. Um, I think somebody like Santel would be uh, a great teacher, but I don't know that he's able to commit to the schedule. So it, it just becomes a matter of, you know, we've got everything in place except for the person that's going to lead the training. Can we convince somebody to uproot their entire life to come trained for us in Worcester, Massachusetts. You know, it's not like it's uh, the Bahamas <laughs> or even Orlando. It's on the uh, uptick. <laughs> so it's a bit of a tough sell. And then, you know, there's the risk involved too, where, where things are going good now. But if, if you have to make a commitment for somebody to uproot their life, you know, we don't want that reputation that WWE has where they bring in a trainer for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden that's like, yep, sorry, never mind. And then, you know, we're on the hook for ruining somebody's life. So, um, I think that the time will come, but right now the focus is on Wrestling Open. And a lot of things that we wanted to accomplish with this school, uh, we're able to do with Wrestling Open now. 
Um, so even though we're not necessarily training wrestlers, uh, we're pretty much able to get our hands on them uh, right out of training. And so I think that that's been massively helpful. And it's just, you know, th that one final step is, is being able to work with a wrestler from the time that they step foot in a wrestling ring for the very first time uh, until they, they sign their national TV contract. Because um, we're able to be with them uh, pretty much the rest of the way. I knew that was your, kind of your goal, and with wrestling opening, it just would go together so well. So maybe you should call Denver, Colorado to see if he wanted to be the lead trainer. <laughs> I can uh, I can train people how to flip grilled cheese, uh, <laughs> talk shit, and uh, do long, extensive driving road trips. But uh, bumping and running the ropes, not my forte. <laughs> Excellent, Drew. This has been awesome. I want to thank you very much, Mike. Thank you for putting this together, and uh, good job driving. Yeah, no problem. I mean, this is definitely something we can always revisit down the road when uh, we get another big show, maybe New Year's or something. But it was good to get, get Drew on here. You know, I talk about beyond every week that we do that clotheslines and headlines at the tail end. So it's to be cool to some of our viewers to get to kind of hear more of the ins and outs of, of how everything gets done. And, and you know, it's a really exciting car, and I, I was happy to kind of give you a platform to talk about it. Hell yeah. As, as it stands, I don't think I'm doing any other interviews, so... It's cool to be able to do it with somebody that's super informed and then, you know, people that are also kind of involved in our come up. So th thank you guys for doing this, too. Awesome. Thank you again, Drew. We'll uh, catch you around the corner. Well, friends, present, passive, beyond. To all those who work with us too long, that is the most precious thing you can do. While you were here, that's the